welcome to the monthly podcast series of maki finance by sagar i am your host sagar singh sethia and for this anniversary special today i am joined by a very special guest he has been the chief investment officer of various mutual funds across india he has managed billions of dollars he is a market veteran has an experience of more than two decades and now he has founded he has found his own firm pine tree macro which specializes uh investing on the basis of macro framework and he is based out of canada welcome ritesh to the podcast thanks thanks agar oh. okay let us start now so ritesh just a few days back almost a fortnight or a month back we uh, had a very interesting event where she uh, being visited russia and a secret secret cam captured the conversation outside cam kremlin so putin was bidding farewell and I, i will quote she said right now there are changes the likes of which we haven't seen for 100 years and we are the ones driving these changes together quote and quote so this statement uh, spread like wildfire across social media it was uh, used by various media outlets in the west and the topic changed to de-dollarization all over the world twitter social media linkedin cnn cnbc fox news everyone was only talking about de-dollarization for this visit uh, there are proponents and opponents of this phenomena you have been very vocal about de-dollarization and you have termed it as brave new world i have been reading you listening to you since the past one year post the war so tell us something about this what do you think what is this brave new world and how you see this multipolar world shaping up okay uh so there are let's start with something a little bit different you know there are mm-hmm. there are four stages of life starting with brahmacharya and ending with sanyasan or uh, sanyas okay. and there are four seasons starting with spring ending with winter and starting again same way there are four stages in life of a reserve currency and in your own chart the life of every reserve currency is between 90 to 110 years and if you read history then the last 10 20 years of every reserve currency historically is marked by all reserve currency empires becoming arrogant towards the end of cycle running too much debt correction starts creeping in wealth inequality all signs which we are seeing in today in us the phase is also known as uh, contractive winter the problem we face today is that us usd has all qualities of a dying reserve currency but there is nobody as yet ready to replace the usd as reserve currency please understand that it is which most people don't understand is that it is a responsibility of a reserve currency to run current account deficit share its gdp with rest of the world and also police the open seas so that global trade and commerce can move freely if there is nobody ready to take that place then we are getting into a chaotic world with no single currency dominating the globe in my opinion commodity producers and high gold ownership countries will see their currency strengthen as they would be having something tangible to barter against rapidly devaluing fiat currencies right uh so according to you the brave new world will be a uh, different countries like commodity exporters like russia and commodity importers like china these two parts so how what role will these two countries these uh, two countries will play according to you in this brave new world 
तो द थिंग इज के रशिया रशिया एक्सपोर्ट्स रशिया इज जस्ट अ कमोडिटी एक्सपोर्टर एक्चुअली दे हैव समथिंग रियली रियली टैंजिबल यू कैन नॉट टेक इट अवे फ्रॉम देम इन फैक्ट हैड इट नॉट बीन फॉर यूएसएसआर ब्रेकअप यू वुड नॉट हैव सीन यू नो कमोडिटीज गेटिंग डंप्ड अक्रॉस द वर्ल्ड सिंस लेट 90s व्हिच लेफ्ट केप्ट द इन्फ्लेशन लोअर चाइना इंपोर्ट्स 700 बिलियन डॉलर्स ऑफ कमोडिटीज एवरी ईयर इफ दोस कमोडिटीज are not denominated in usd but can be denominated in cny mm. i understand people don't want cny but if that's you denominated in cny you take that cny and that cny you convert it into gold at shanghai exchange then i think all both these things are telling us that countries are trying to get away from that dollar you know related issue and my problem is that this issue started creeping up in february 2022 when g7 sanctioned russia's fx reserves you never ever sanction a country's fx reserves and that is the time that both these countries decided russia decided on one hand because it had lost that money china said tomorrow it can happen to me if i don't follow the you know the the us line so so that is the time that de dollarization also started and that is the time that every country even start including india also started thinking exactly the same way so one thing you mentioned that current account deficit countries like usg they run a lot of trade deficit and on the expense of that deficit uh, china on the contrary china runs trade surplus so hmm. there is a way our world is world global financial system works the trade surplus countries like china they they invest their surplus money in us uh, the most liquid markets as we know the us treasuries mm-hmm. similarly the petro dollar was born in 1970s on the same concept saudi arabia used the proceeds from their oil and invest into ust so this system will work and uh, this is the way that uh, global financial system works due to this and as also as a result of uh, this work uh, the chinese dominating the global trade they are now they are now exporting around 878 not exporting trade surplus of 878 billion dollars whereas on the other hand us has a trade deficit of around 95 945 billion dollars these figures are for the last year now the the chinese invest their surplus money into usts and this system works as a result of this system that net invest the net international investment position of usa has decreased to 90% of gdp it is now minus 90% of gdp so for one let us consider a scenario hypothetical scenario that this de-dollarization works in the next two decades now where will you think the chinese will invest their surplus money which countries the U, the role that usa is playing today hmm. which country will take that role how will our global financial system change what do you think about this so so first of all i do not believe that petro yuan is the future because china has a closed capital account and china does not run current account deficit as you also mentioned if you don't run current account deficit then you do not distribute your currency across the world and without enough currency in the hands globally it cannot be used for international transactions having said that chinese leadership understand that they need to move from factory of the world to domestic consumption when china was 2000 dollars per capita gdp the only way to become a middle income country was exporting and they have done very very well 
Now they are twelve thousand dollars per capita GDP and ready to move to domestic consumption. Also, they stopped investing their surplus USD in US Treasury starting two thousand fourteen itself. So let me give you some numbers. China's FX reserves were forty six percent of GDP in two thousand thirteen, twenty six percent by two thousand eighteen. It is eighteen percent now. So can you see that their FX reserves as a percentage of GDP itself is coming down? The incremental dollar is going into buying assets across the world because they can also see writing on the wall that US cannot get out of this mess without devaluing dollar. So why not hold real asset instead of USD or US Treasuries? Okay, so you talked that China is investing their surplus dollar elsewhere, not in the US Treasuries. So is this sustainable? Do you think that this can continue forever? Or, for example, you talk about Saudi Arabia. China can do. Can Saudi do the same thing? No, what will they do with their surplus dollars? So this is you. You can already see that uh, you know uh, China has replaced US as the biggest uh, oil buyer in the world, and obviously Saudis are giving the highest. Uh, you know, uh, us uh, sending a huge amount of oil to uh, China. In turn, that China is giving CNY. That CNY, Saudi Arabia has two choices. It can buy the assets, Chinese assets, uh, from uh, you know, with that CNY, which Saudi Arabia has done two deals in the last three months, or it can turn back and use that CNY to buy gold from Shanghai Exchange, which is actually this you know CNY is convertible into uh, gold at Shanghai Exchange. That is the reason that over the last few years, China is buying huge amount of gold through Hong Kong. So that if you have gold, then any country would be happy to trade with you if they can in turn use your currency to buy your assets, or if they do not want to buy your assets, then they buy gold on the exchange. So can I conclude that you are suggesting that we are transitioning to a gold standard? No, gold standard is not possible in a in a fractional banking system. Gold standard is not possible. Gold will come into the system in a particular, you know, in a small fashion where it is also available, and countries having a higher gold reserves. This will also make sure that countries have higher gold reserves to support their currencies. But this is this does not mean that gold standard is coming back in a fractional banking system where banks can create money out of thin air. If you want gold standard back, then it will lead to a depressions of nineteen twenties. So this is not going to come back. Wow. Okay. So the other challenge that I think that the BRICS countries or this new multipolar world or the brave new world face is the dollar liabilities. So yeah. a lot a private sector over the last, I would say, fifteen years post two thousand eight global financial crisis have accumulated a lot of debt. That is thanks right. to the rock bottom interest rates that were in the West. So I was just checking the figures. The credit to non-financial corporations as percent of world GDP has jumped from seventy-five percent in two thousand eight to ninety-seven percent today. It it uh, post-COVID it even touched one hundred and two-three percent. So these dollar liabilities, if we move away from the dollar, some people are suggesting that in the initial phase the dollar will skyrocket because there will be a shortage of dollar in the markets and the companies that are leveraged. That need dollars to uh, meet their liabilities to pay interest, they will not be able to get grasp of the dollar, and the dollar will skyrocket. So, how will this challenge be mitigated? This the highly leveraged private sector, and even some sovereign countries have high dollar debt. 
how do you think this will pan out so the risk cannot be mitigated in short term there is there is no you know moving away from that path okay but please understand and you have a chart above which is a fantastic chart everybody should understand the meaning of niiip you have a chart above about us net international investment position that if dollar liquidity get constrained then foreigners which own a much larger chunk of us denominated assets will be forced to sell us assets only to raise usd which will hurt us economic equally recall march of 2020 when we had both equities and bonds falling at the same us equities and us bonds falling at the same point of time that was the first time we saw that in a risk off situation money is not going into us treasuries because us niip is massively negative so if not more us is already running 6% budget deficit and 130% debt to gdp which tells me that any dollar shortage if not dealt with immediately then us budget deficit will probably blow out to 10% plus and us interest rates will rise sharply us economy and us finances are now between rock and a hard place hence i am of the view that any dollar shortage will be dealt with swiftly although more favorable terms will be given to us allies in any liquidity squeeze okay so you mentioned that uh, we will get a lot of dollar printing by the fed uh, and as we know that even uh, even a month ago after post the svp fallout uh, the fed mentioned that they will be now uh, doing daily swap operations with its allies g7 countries g5 countries so do you think that initially we will have a phase of high inflation because also there's a point that many market participants make that the as you mentioned that the debt to gdp ratio of us is around 130% people think that this will have to come down to 40 50 60% and that is that can only come down by inflating away the debt so we are entering into a regime of high inflation for the next decade so do you think that low growth high inflation is the future for the next decade stagflationary period Uh, i have to bifurcate the world into two parts so countries wants to have a bigger hold over their supply chains and china is no more willing to be the factory of the world so let's start with something like this thing this is the reality look at the us inflation reduction act which is almost 300 billion dollar but as per goldman sachs it, it runs in more than a trillion dollars or a european equivalent of inflation reduction act because europeans were not allowed to participate into us inflation reduction act so they 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 in they started their own inflation they did their own inflation reduction act add friend shoring in mexico fight for influence in africa pli schemes in india and these are all inflationary or stagflationary now stagflation is the most likely outcome for countries with higher debt lower low gdp growth and huge underfunded liabilities and these include most of g7 brics plus on the other hand are better positioned because these countries have low debt and high and uh, low debt and low household debt also young demographics which leads me to believe that there is a high productive there is going to be high productivity and hence can absorb cost of deglobalized world so markets always chase growth and in this world of in the words of mif it's imf itself india and china will provide more than half of global growth in coming years so so i have answered to your question in a to, in a different way countries with high debt high debt will have lower growth 
and will possibly will kind of with the statflationary scenario which you are mentioning which is most of the g7 although i would still keep japan out of it uh in other countries where the household debt is not high that means household is not leveraged enough and they can provide growth and the demographics is young those countries will provide growth going forward so you are saying that certain emerging markets with lower household leverage will be the growth engine of the world but we also know that we are living in a globalized world if yeah. there is a crisis in the west in europe or in us uh we have for example if we consider india or mexico mexico is like the new manufacturing hub due to the reshoring concept india is uh, the it sector the services export is dependent a lot on the west if there is a crisis in the west these sectors will also get hurt so do you think that emerging markets can also see a lower growth not the growth that the imf is or the world bank is predicting today so yes to some extent but i do not believe that going forward Uh, that we will be so much dependent upon west for growth and emerging markets simply because i do not believe that we are living in globalized world anymore we are trying to be glo- deglobalized and that means more and more growth will come from you know localization and it will not or regionalization rather than globalization so i i am strongly of the opinion that any short term hits which you will get from us slowing down will be more than made up by friend shoring reshoring onshoring all these kind of new shoring words which we are talking about so over the next few years a little bit of hit can come from us uh, slowdown but beyond that i do not believe that uh, this is a scenario where where you know emerging world will be hit very badly right so now let us move to the uh investing uh, asset class investing you i have uh, read about you like like in the last one year uh you your framework is based on liquidity yes and even when i go to your website pine tree macro you have in the detail mentioned about how you uh, manage your portfolio using liquidity yeah. and can you please in just in short tell that what is this liquidity framework investing how do you do this and how do you uh, see that where is the liquidity flowing to yeah sure so i believe that liquidity creates fundamentals but fundamentals do not necessarily create liquidity when you look when you think of valuation you look at eps into pe now everybody is focused on eps think of my framework as pe you know i focus only on whether pe will expand or contract and there is a very tight correlation between global liquidity and equity pe expansion or contraction in fact as per the work done by pioneers in global liquidity there is only one pioneer of global liquidity cross border capital there is a 0.8 correlation between global liquidity and all wealth which includes equities real estate gold and fixed income so you can see the correlation is a very very tight correlation so i only fo- follow where liquidity is flowing and uh, then allocate in underlying etf uss 2000 uh, odd etf think of a you know think of a concept and you have an underlying etf so for example towards the end of last year i wrote that mexico would be one of the biggest winners of reshoring or friend shoring the reasoning was simple us wanted its supply chain back but us canada us and canada are very costly jurisdiction to reshore with aging demographics us canada and mexico have a free trade agreement known as usmca young demographics low cost of production meant that companies which want to participate in reshoring for us would probably be friend shoring to mexico to serve north american markets 
So Mexico would be a big recipient of global liquidity. That was just a simple, you know, putting all these things together. Now in the last six months, and I do not want to talk about three months and six months, but I have the data only of last six months because that is when all these things starts happening. Mexican peso is up 10% against USD, up almost 80% against Canadian dollar. And Mexican ETF, EWW, is up 30% in the last six months when the US markets have been flat. Yes. So I see that uh, when I see the chart from cross-border capital, uh, the liquidity bottomed out in October, somewhere in October 2022. And that was a time when the major beer market ended in China and even in, we can say, the NASDAQ or the tech-heavy index is up 20% from October lows. And exactly at the same time, the global liquidity bottomed out. Uh, so we are seeing something strange happening. And I've also been writing about this since the last three, four months, that uh, Bank of Japan uh, increased its YCC yield curve control ceiling from 25 basis points to 50 basis points in the last week of December. That led to increased buying of JGBs by BOJ and added to the global liquidity. Then we saw that abruptly, uh, Chinese government ended the draconian lockdown in around November of the first week of December. And post that, they have been the PBOC, the Central Bank of China, is adding liquidity via different stimulus programs since the last three months. And yesterday, I wrote that the Chinese inflation is the only one than the central bank's target. It is around 1% currently. And that gives them room to add more liquidity to the system. Now, all this liquidity, which has been added in the East, contrary to that in the West, we are seeing that we had the QT programs of the Fed and the ECB and the BOE. They were sucking out the liquidity, but that changed post the SVP fallout. Now we see that they are moving sideways. So it's not a net addition or net uh, deletion of liquidity from the system that the Fed or the ECB is doing, but we still have the liquidity pumping in the East. So where do you think the liquidity, as you said, you give an example of Mexico, but what do you think will all this liquidity, which is still flowing into the global financial system will flow in the next three to six months, which asset classes, or if you can mention particular markets as well. So as per you, you have mentioned about, you know, you've already talked about how much liquidity is created. Let me give you some numbers. Yeah. As per Citibank global strategist, central bank liquidity is up almost 1 trillion in last three months. Of wow. course, we know that BOJ and TBOC are a big part of this liquidity, but little known reason is US debt ceiling. Due to US debt ceiling, US Treasury had to run down their cash balances from 500 billion to almost nil. And I have posted a chart on that today with a lot of explanation. I believe that as soon as US debt ceiling will be resolved, US Treasury will be issuing massive amount of Treasury bonds to shore up its balances. Hence, the biggest event for liquidity going forward is the resolution of US debt limit. Now, US Economy is already slowing down and in case US Treasury were to suck out huge liquidity after US debt ceiling resolution, then we are looking at a huge spike in US dollar. Now, when do I expect all these things? I think the US debt ceiling, uh, you know, US Treasury has money till May end to spend without, you know, uh, cutting down on spending. So I think by June, we should see some kind of resolution of US debt ceiling. Now, till the time that US debt ceiling is not resolved, I think that, that this is the market what you're looking at is will continue to be supported by liquidity. But as soon as the US debt ceiling is resolved, 
I would say that it could be a big risk of environment because think about it that, you know, they will be coming to the market every day to borrow money and suck out liquidity. And if I believe in the liquidity framework, then sucking, sucking out liquidity is bad for any risk asset. So you see uh, risk assets performing well till next month and then in the second half of the year, uh, risk of sentiment, right? If I'm not yeah, because but the best of liquidity is behind us. PBOC had to do whatever they have done. Bank of Japan had Bank of Japan has done whatever it is. You know, they've they've already spent money. And yeah. uh, please understand, Fed has done. You know, uh, U.S. Treasury has spent five hundred billion dollars in the last three year, months without borrowing any money. And SVB fiasco added, you know, curtailed entire QT. And this is where you are after a trillion dollar. By now, you should have been hitting a new high in markets if this is a kind of liquidity. But the thing is, market is looking forward and saying that the best of liquidity is behind us. Still, best of liquidity is behind us doesn't mean that liquidity is getting taken out from the system. You Liquidity will be taken out from the system when, money, when you issue bonds and you take money out of the system. You can only issue bonds only when the debt ceiling is resolved. So I would say that we are a month away from that. Uh, from uh, you know discussing that what is going to happen on debt ceiling till that point of time i strongly believe markets would be kind of okay which is the way you are seeing the sideways market it should be okay right okay let us now talk about asset allocation we discussed that there will be there's a potential case of stagflation the coming decade because of the de-dollarization trend and everything and uh, generally we have seen from the 70s experience that equities and bonds don't perform well in the stagflationary scenario. So there's also a case that people think that there'll be a, a lengthy recessionary period. We'll be in the recession, out, then again in, then out. That will keep rates on the higher end and bonds will not perform well as they did in the yeah, zero interest rate scenario or the negative interest rate scenario that we had post-GFC. Similarly, equities also don't perform well if we see that they generally have a positive correlation, equities and bonds. Then the 60-40 portfolio that used to give cushion 60% in equities and 40% in bonds. Do you think that the six, the era of 60-40 is over in the, in the coming like medium to long term in the next 5 to 10 years? What do you think about the 60-40 portfolio? So, okay, I'll give you a little uh, broader answer. So I want to own countries with manageable debt young demographics who are either commodity producers or are beneficiary of deshoring. I've already mentioned that before. Yeah. I would say that if we replace 40 and 60, 40 portfolios from bonds to gold, then we will be fine. I, okay. I also want to own asset, asset owners, which can help in clean and green energy transition. And lastly, I want to own any industry, which is viewed favorably by governments as companies aligned to government policies will be biggest winner in the brave new world. Okay, so you mentioned that uh, gold will provide a good diversification bet in the 60-40 portfolio. I see on your website that you have an allocation of 8.36%, if I'm not wrong, to gold. And this was your largest allocation. So if someone is following the 60-40 portfolio, do you see that, do you think that 10% capping should be on gold or you, do you think that more than 10% can be allocated to gold as a diversification bet in the stagflationary period that we are heading headed to? I think I've already answered that in a different way by saying that a 60-40 portfolio, 40 should be replaced by gold. 
ट्रोल Uh, and by 1952 because of this financial repression us debt to gdp came down to 70 to 80% 2020 us coming out of covid problem debt to gdp at 130% i believe over the next few years they will be having the same policies which they which they had it in 1940s it's the same template which they'll be having which will lead to massive financial depression and in a financial depression i do not want to own long term bonds i would want to own a tangible asset and i would say there is a time when gold is a dead asset and a time where gold needs to be replaced needs to replace bonds and that time is now okay so uh, just because we have uh, users uh, listeners from all around the globe uh, in in their domestic currencies if you talk about canadian dollar if you talk about uh, pound in inr or any other currency except dollar we have seen that gold has given superior returns and touched historic and it's currently at historical highs hmm. but when we talk about dollar if someone hmm. is in the us hmm. the, uh, they are more inclined to btc especially the millennials they think that bitcoin is a new gold hmm. while uh, gold doesn't provide any Uh, uh gold is not an hedge against inflation because they have not seen any returns for gold in the last 10 years mm. and the other thing that i want to mention is that 40 if you are replacing 40% uh to gold instead of bonds or instead of any asset asset class the one thing that don't gold didn't uh, doesn't give is the dividend if mm. you hold a bond or a or a equity you will get anything you will get any amount of dividend but gold doesn't provide the dividend for someone who is in the us Hmm. what do you suggest he should also own gold or do you think yes. that allocation money the in living you should be less than 40% actually in all g7 countries us debt to gdp is more than 100% and that is why i believe that in the g7 countries at least in g7 countries financial repression is going to be the future because they have seen this template before the policy makers they are going to have the same template going forward let me give you some numbers a us spends 8% of its budget on interest payments in the next 18 months 7 trillion dollars of bonds will have to be repriced they will be going from 1.5% to 3.5 to 4% pick up your number us will be paying 17% of its budget on interest payment in 18 months from 8 to 17% if you cannot curtail your expenditure you know any government cannot curtail their expenditure then what will happen you can see the debt trap over here 
So that that debt trap is there for all the G7 nations. Although I would put Japan a little bit different because Japan is a country of savers. Japan's net international investment position is hugely positive. Again, let me give you one more number. There are since 1918, uh, since 1800, there have been 52 episodes of countries reaching debt to GDP of 130%. 51 out of 52 countries have defaulted on their debt, either through restructuring or through devaluation. The only country which has not defaulted and has not restructured its debt is Japan. Wow, that's a staggering number. But again, uh, since uh, I was looking at your top five holdings, first one is gold, second is TIPS bond ETF, third is the Japanese ETF, the H ETF, that is DXJ, fourth is uranium ETF, and the fifth is the Mexico. You mentioned about Mexico, you talked about bonds and gold. Yeah. Now let us focus on the two uh, ETFs, that is DXJ and U uranium ETF. First, we'll talk about the uranium because I was very... Uh, uh, not say shocked or stunned, but interestingly, uh, uranium is a very interesting bet for me. It was uh, very, very intriguing that why you hold uranium and not some like, uh, let's say, energy ETF, which also gives good amount of dividends or a diversified commodities ETF. What is the rationale behind uranium? So when I was looking at sectors which will benefit from energy transition, I realized that there is no bigger beneficiary than nuclear energy. Now, Fukushima disaster is now in the rear view mirror and technological advancement has made nuclear reactors much more safer. In fact, Japan, is, Japan which, which got hurt because of Fukushima disaster, is restarting most of its nuclear reactors. I believe nuclear energy is the best fit for any country. In fact, look at how much nuclear um, India and uh, China is also doing on nuclear energy. So any country which wants to wean away from fossil fuel, I think uranium is, uh, nuclear energy is the best bet. Hence, URA or URNN, these are the two ETF, are again one of the core holdings investing companies involved in the mining of uranium. So we are investing in the mining of uranium. Okay, great. Now let us talk about DXG as well, uh, the hedged uh, ETF, the Japanese ETF. We saw that Japan has gone through a very a big equity bubble in the 1980s. Yeah. And if we talk about the, if we leave the ETF behind and talk about the standalone index, we, we have seen that it's still not reached where it was in the 80s. It's still more than, I don't know the exact number, but it's still down than the 80s high. Mm. And we have also seen that Bank of Japan is having problems. It now owns more than 55% of the JGB market. Yeah. And it has been constantly printing and it is in the trap, I think, because they want to go out, move out of this YCC, this uh, zero interest rate policy, but they are not able to get out because they fear that the losses, the MTM losses on their bond portfolio, the reversal of carry trades that will happen as the money will move back to Japan from the US, from Europe, uh, there can be selling of USG as well. They fear that there can be a stability risk to the global financial system as well. In this complex scenario, complicated scenario, what do you think will happen in Japan and especially how this will affect the Japanese equity markets? So there are first two things about DXJ. DXJ is at an all-time high now. It is every day kind of hitting an all-time high. And DXJ is currency hedged. 
So you are not taking an exposure on JPY. Every day it is hedged into USD. That is the only, I think, currency hedged ETF in the world. Obviously, you're right. Japan has gone through 30 years of uh, deflation because they had a big equity bubble. And they had to, you know, um, it's like they needed that much time because they had, it, the bubble was so big that when it burst, it took 30 years for markets to understand your markets, uh, you know, to digest those kind of uh, bubble losses. Now, interestingly, Japan ETF is made up of commodity producers. It is made up of banks. And rising inflation is very good for these two sectors. If you, in a zero interest rate policy, you have a flat yield curve and Japanese banks cannot make money. But as soon as the bond yield starts rising, Japanese banks, because of the yield curve, you know, uh, steepness, starts making money. Secondly, inflation is very good for companies with assets, you know, hard assets, you know, fixed assets. Both these things are bored well for the companies which are there, you know, in the indexes. And you might have a, you, we might have a view on bonds that bond deals will go up and all. But if the bond deals goes up, honestly, it is very good for the Japanese banks over there. So that is the reason. And Japanese companies are, uh, Japanese index is the cheapest among G7 and even cheaper than some of the emerging countries. It's like everybody has forgotten Japan, actually, you know, as an asset class. And when I look at the flows also in Japanese ETF, I find that there is absolutely no interest in that uh, country at all. But because of these reasons, which are because of the inflation, because of the yield curve steepness, because of the cheap uh, nature of the you know market, because of commodity producers, all these things make me, and I look at liquidity as you know, all these things yeah. make me uh, you know, interested interested in that particular ETF. And I realized, and I started seeing some flows also last year, uh, actually Warren Buffett picked up huge stake in some commodity uh, producers, commodity companies out of Japan. So I think it's a very interesting setup which is happening in Japan. And this is the only actually uh, developed, developed market which I like and have been owning it from a beginning time itself. And I think we are just at the starting stage if we believe inflation is going to be here. And I, as I've explained to you that I ex- expect stagflation is the Western world, but not in Japan. Japan is still at two, three percent inflation. Okay, Japan will be able to, Japan in my view will be one of the best stories in G7 countries going forward. Uh, the, you raise a very interesting point about Warren Buffett. Even uh, two days back, there was a filing by Berkshire that they will now raise yen denominated notes again. And people oh, really? are speculating that, oh, that they will invest more in the equity market, Japanese equity markets. Okay. Yes, I agree with you that. So uh, let us now uh, go to our last question. And it's two-part question because I want to talk about India, which, has, which was your home market. And now you are a Canadian citizen. So talk about Canada as well. So first about India. So Indian equities have been expensive, expensive uh, if we compare to China or even to broader market, broader uh, MSI EM index, and it has always been expensive due to its growth potential demographics and a new concept now, the reshoring concept is also there. So do you think that, but, but we also know that since the last six months, post-October, the gap between Chinese equities and Indian equities increased a lot. And foreign investors have been continuously selling Indian equities and rotating to China. 
and there is expectation that china will report more than 20% eps growth this year because of the uh, low base effect that was the last year due to the lockdowns and also there are more than 700 billion dollars of household savings which may come in s2 second half of this year as pent up demand that will lead to earnings growth in china so foreign investors today find irrespective of the geopolitical implications and this china more interesting than india uh, since you are connected to india you have a lot of friends there what do you think uh, you'll buy india or china if you if you uh, if i give you an option to do so china has a much larger weight in msci and if you are underweight then as a global fund manager you need to beat your benchmarks okay when an asset class keeps on rising for some time and then and you are underweight i have seen this phenomenon many times you now when i have gone and met my london colleagues beating the benchmarks is the most important thing for foreign uh, you know uh, investors and most of the money comes through etf route so when you are ha- having a heavily underweight in uh, china and a little bit overweight in india then what you do at the first moment itself you know you reduce the weight of india and you increase the weight of china and having said that thing what has india has not done anything badly it is just going through a time correction so let me tell you my views on india you know india has rarely been cheap for long period of time i i don't think any time you go and you say you know i'll wait for 3 months and i'll still find india cheap no you have not found that india cheap after 3 months of time and it has become you know it has gone one standard deviation below the mean so india has rarely been cheap for a long period of time and there has been a premium associated with india historically with few qualifications i'm very bullish on india over next few years i'm taking into account that we will be a beneficiary of cheap energy uh, execution of pli schemes which will lead to massive employment generation please understand that services do not create employment it's the manufacturing which creates employment and influx of global capital chasing double digit nominal gdp growth rate honestly my view changed more positive towards india after covid as i realized that indian government has not given away free money like g7 countries and although that might have been painful for a lot of people in india in short term but in long term it will help us with lower inflation and higher potential gdp ukraine russia war and companies looking to reshore out of china has given india one more chance at the expense of foreign capital we are a capital starved economy so we are getting one more chance at the expense of foreign capital i'm also bullish indian you know indian ten, medium tenure interest rates because we are closer to zero on real interest rates which means we are closer to top in interest rates in india you want me to talk so, about canada also yeah yeah canada uh, i have a question <laughs> uh, what happened uh, in canada last two days back i think someone mentioned on twitter that td bank which is the yeah. uh second largest canadian bank is now the most shorted, shorted bank, bank in the world in the world that was very surprising because uh, if your second largest bank goes belly up then uh, it's a serious risk to the financial system <clears throat> except that we have seen that uh, i have seen your posts and tweets that canada has seen a lot of headwinds headwinds like stagnant per capita income you have seen a languishing private sector you have mentioned a lot times uh, that the job creation that has been happening in canada since the last two years is due to the public sector private sector is languishing and as we all know the over leveraged housing market so yeah. what what are your views on canada what do you think is canada headed to especially the td bank thing i think that is a very big thing so canada is a different animal altogether actually economy has been mismanaged for long 
but it all came out you know after some event happened no then only we come to know what wrong you have done so it all came out after covid when canadian government gave away free money just free money and in turn added a lot of debt now as per oecd i i, I was just looking at their numbers canada will be growing at less than 1% for long period of time and i strongly agree with their assessment most people don't realize you know and a lot of immigrants come to we get 1 million immigrants a year 40% of them from india that canada's per capita gdp is stagnant at $48000 for last 17 years and people depend upon asset inflation and household debt for consumption so the only sector which i would ever ever look to invest in india is resource sector because canada is very resource rich and only that part of the resource sector which has government blessings like clean and green energy uh, so there is a place in canada known as james bay which has so much of lithium lithium that it is known as a saudi arabia of oil so so still canada can be a big story you know canada can be a very big success story if it opens itself for global competition which it has not and not have protectionist policies and allow its resources to be extracted for the benefit of canadian economy so, so broadest uh, answer i could give about canada okay so like if we think that uh, the natural resource sector is developed because i also know that there are the oil sands that canada has yes. the potential is huge if we see that natural resource sector is developed and the exports start to skyrocket do you yeah. think that canadian equity markets or the commodity uh, producers stocks or we can say even the canadian dollar everything can... will go through the roof everything will go through the roof they are not allowing so you know politically it is uh, not acceptable for them to increase uh, the canadian oil production from oil sands so they are putting a cap over there you know and they are trying to get into big green and clean energy with lot of subsidies now uh, there are a lot of uh, so if you give all the three things which you have said if that happens i would be massively long canadian dollar against any other currency in the world wow. simple because it will help canadian economy canada's household debt to gdp will come down it will be very good for canadian economy but i have not yeah. seen that thing i've been here for last 5 years and i am just seeing that you know we are not thinking in that direction i stay in alberta actually in calgary we we export 3.6 million barrels of oil per day and as per you know uh, the people in know of uh, you know they can say they are saying we can easily export 6 to 7 million barrels per day we just need a mode of transport from here think about it if canada can easily double its export us can have exports you know coming directly from canada they don't have to depend upon any other economy but even you will be surprised to know that canada imports oil from saudi arabia wow okay <laughs> to sum up so bullish canada if the things change politically bullish india in the long term politically is not uh, the right word if the if they change their policies it can be any political establishment it doesn't matter to me uh, i need policies which will help us extract our resources for the benefit of canadian people okay okay so a new policy regime uh, benefiting the development of natural resources will make you bullish extremely bullish on canada bullish on india in the medium term gold uh, which was a very surprising thing 40% of the portfolio in gold if, if someone wants to uh, beat the 60 40 
Japanese stocks, uranium, Mexico, uh, anything else? I think. Yeah, that's fine. That, all okay. these things uh, you find it on my, uh, you know, in in the annotation of portfolio actually. Uh, okay. Actually, the portfolio which you mentioned was a December end portfolio, but the March portfolio yeah. is almost exactly the same thing. Okay. So thank you, Ritesh. Please follow Ritesh on LinkedIn. He posts very insightful posts on global macro, on the US economy. You can follow him on Twitter as well. And he runs, he's the co-founder of, as I mentioned, Pine Tree Macro. You can go to the website, learn about his uh, rationale behind the liquidity, liquidity framework of investing. And uh, thank you, Ritesh. Thank you for your time, valuable time. Thanks. Thanks, Agar. Thank, thanks, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye.